Welcome to Fangirl Happy Hour for May 5th, 2015. Today, we're chatting about the show from Netflix and Marvel, Daredevil, a brand new adaptation of the comic character created by Stanley and Bill Everett, who stands guard over Hell's Kitchen. And finally, after copious amounts of wrecks from tons of people, we're discussing The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, a space adventure featuring a lovable spaceship team that builds wormholes. And then, to our extreme pleasure, we're welcoming Justin Landon, critic, reviewer, and all-around swell guy to the show as our first guest to grill him over the important questions in life. With me today to discuss these things, but to primarily hold me as I cry over the reality of Daredevil already having been renewed while Agent Carter future shifts in the winds of uncertainty. Anna, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I think. I think. I think we will be holding each other on this episode and cry because, because and cry so. horribly. Yes. There is a link going around that says they're going to decide soon whether it gets a second season. Yes, I saw that. That's kind of like really shitty, isn't it? It's like, yeah, here, here's your carrot, people. Just you know, wait, and I'll let you know when I'm ready. Don't do this to us. Why are you doing this to us? Because they can. Because they have tons of money and influence. Oh, uh, yeah. Are. So, yeah. So, if they do have tons of money, why don't they just renew the thing? Exactly. Already? You throw your huge amount of dollars at a, a second season of Ethan Carter Marvel. It's not that hard. No, it's not. It's like, it's even like a short season, like eight episodes. It's nothing. Nothing at all. They could give me 13. I would accept 13. Yes, I would accept like 50, but. You know, I'll take. <laughs> I'll take fifty. Whatever, whatever seasons. it takes, Renee. Whatever it takes. Yes, and you know, I'm really, I'm really excited about this episode that we were, we are recording right now because I think we have a lot to say about Daredevil. I think we have a lot to say about everything. In fact, that is true. Like thinking ahead, uh, this episode may, in fact hit galactic suburbia levels of length. We may be reaching for the stars. I don't know yet. It hasn't happened. So, this episode could be two hours long. Who knows? Woohoo! Woohoo! People who are listening know, good luck, guys. Last adventure. Take a risk. We apologize in advance. I don't apologize at all. No. I have no apologies. This is why I provide timestamps so people can skip around. That's true. We are welcome, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get started. Let's do this. Daredevil is a new show on Netflix starring Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, a lawyer by day who becomes the defender of Hell's Kitchen at night. Daredevil is yet another entry into Marvel's cinematic universe, sharing continuity with the films and other shows. The first season of 13 episodes was released on Netflix on April 10, 2015, and the second season was announced only weeks after the release of the first and not that I'm bitter or anything about the announcement of the second season. Let's. We should probably start. I. I would like us to start by saying, "Do did we like this? Yes or no?" You go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. Why have? Why do I have to go first? <laughs> because <laughs> you're I trying to trick me into putting out my reaction. Yes, I liked it. Oh wow! Okay. Th- th- that not what you expected, right? Surprise! Yes, I did not expect that. To be honest, your turn. Do not. I don't know. I don't know how to answer my own question. You asked it and you had no answer. You're fired. I had no answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I have... I don't know. Individually, I like a lot of things about Daredevil. I don't know if they mesh well together. 
I don't know if it's a cohesive show. I slept a lot through those episodes. You slept I, a lot? That's a, I dozed wow. off. I never do that. And I watch really slow shows, right? I watch Mad Men. That says it all. I think that I wish I had liked it more. Because, you know, superheroes and within that Netflix um, binge-watching kind of thing and... Yes, but I, I'm not sure that I think it was a good show. Wow, I did not expect that from you. I expected that he'd come and like it, and then we would both like it. This is a flip. This has I know. thrown me for a loop. I don't know what to do now. I just, I thought you were not going to I need to like go away it. and meditate on this. <laughs> <laughs> what, what an occurrence. I, I don't disagree with you that this show was not well-paced. But, so first off, a warning. This is going to contain hella spoilers. So if you haven't seen Daredevil yet, you can try to watch it. Good luck. I know people who barely made it. Like, it passed the first episode. That's how bad the show is on violence. Where should we start? Because I know you have notes. I do have notes. I, because I had to have something to do because there were scenes in this show I couldn't, like, I would listen to them and I would just be like, oh, oh, no. (laughs) Like, like I was being hit. It was so heavy on the violence it was so graphic as well and how much blood did this production go through a lot of one of my friends on twitter was like a ton yes i don't know but at the same time i i I like i watch the walking dead i watch um game of thrones those are quite violent shows as well but there was something about daredevil that made me really squeamish is that the word I, I had to look away. I couldn't. I couldn't watch a lot of those scenes. Very, and I'm not sure whether that violence was necessarily well used. I. This is how I feel about most of this show. I don't know. I don't know. That's your feeling about the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm confused. Well, let's look at the show in the context of the water MCU. This is an MCU show. It's being. I mean, it's being marketed as part of the continuity. But is there any continuity? I, this felt like a crime procedural without the procedural part. <laughs> it was yes. really odd. The references to the wider MCU are just like shoehorned in in really awkward ways. The best tie-in that I thought the show did was Ben Urich writing about the... You the, know, the Battle the, of New York. The Battle of New York. There's an article that The Harlem made. thing, because there's... Yeah. That, like, there's... You see him in the background of some of his scenes, and then he takes... When he gets fired, he takes his pictures home, and he's, like, looking at one. Yeah. And But, like, then there's, like, Foggy's comments, like, you could put wings on my head, and it doesn't make me Captain America. They just felt really shoehorned in and awkward. The show does not have a sense of place. Apparently, Hell's Kitchen is a place... And it's got a really distinct identity. Yeah, but it's like a eight block radius, right? Oh. And every time they would say, the city, this is my city. And I'm like, no, it's a few blocks and within Manhattan. I don't, within- I mean, is there was there supposed to be like a better identity? And I think that actually calls to the problem. The show uses Hell's Kitchen as this anchor of where it's taking place. It doesn't do a good job of giving us a sense of where Hell Kitchen is, what part, like, what's its larger context, what's its identity. Just like the show does not really fit very well into the MCU. One of my friends on Twitter made a comment about how she was unsure 
that the extra stuff, like the shows and stuff, had kind of taken Phase 3 off the rails. And, like, I thought about her comment, and I really think that's true. Like, this, the extra shows are kind of derailing Phase 3. Yeah, the wider, the, the wider MCU is just getting kind of bloated and messy, and the tones are not meshing very well. It's very, it's completely different from the rest of anything. This did not feel like a superhero show. This felt like a really bland procedural Yes, except for the fact that there is no procedural side to it. Exactly. Because well, one of the things that I think, um, I don't read Daredevil comics. No, me uh, You know, my one uh, encounter with the character was the Ben Affleck movie, which, by the way, I actually really did like. Uh, me too. But, uh, oh, yeah, high five. Yes. I think we are the only two people on the planet it's, it's to say fine. that. <laughs> we can live on our island of denial. So I think one of the one of the main things about Daredevil is that he is actually a lawyer and he uses the law to defend criminals and get them and then go after them on the streets, right? Yes. And we hardly ever saw Matt doing that. It's like there was there is one case that he worked on and nothing else. Although I don't I know that the show was within had a timeline that was really short. Things happened from one episode to the other were like a, a matter of hours. So I, I guess that could play into that as well, that it wasn't a, a prolonged timeline. And this is why maybe we didn't see Matt dealing with other cases and it was just concentrated on this one major villain, one one guy. But I kind of like, I think I missed that because I think I think that is one important side of the Daredevil character that was played down a little bit that was a little bit weird and the tone as well because it's so dark and it's so violent it just it's just a different tone to the rest of the marvel cinematic universe as we know it at least so far i don't know how that's going to progress now that there is a second season there are three other series coming uh from netflix all connected to each other and is it all going to be kind of the same tone I really hope not, because I did not. I the don't know. Of show. You know, kind of like felt like Batman, like the Batman movies, the new ones by Christopher Nolan. The kind of kind of feel, the tone, even Charlie Cox going around saying, "This is my city." It's kind of like Christian Bale going, "I'm Batman." I got that same vibe too. I also got really confused because sometimes they would call him like the Man in Black, and I'd be like, "Wesley, wait, no, I'm that's the wrong character." <laughs> Totally the wrong character. Wow, Renee. <laughs> I got really confused several at several points. Well, because you know, it's uh it was it was very much a origin story as well, because even though the show starts with him already going out and doing what he was doing, I think the show served as a way of establishing what his motivations were, what was his major you know, conflict, which is, do I kill this guy? Do I not kill the guy? What is it that I'm doing here? And then he goes and he dons his um, costume at the end of the series along with his name. So it's kind of like it's, it's, it's his journey to becoming Daredevil because he starts as the man with a mask, anonymous, nameless guy going around beating people up. It's a, it's a very much origin story because it's also how we come to find out who he's working with, who are his allies and his main enemies, and what he's fighting for. 
which is Hell's Kitchen. Which is weird because I I saw someone I want to say it was Abigail Nussbaum, but I might be wrong talking about how that show connects to the wider spectrum of uh, MCU. It's like so. Where is Captain America? Why would he allow New York to go to shit like this? So why is he all alone doing this? Why are not the other superheroes doing? other work there as well it's it, which is no it's a, it's a it's a it's a kind of a silly question but it's an interesting question it's silly because you know you cannot have all superheroes at the same time doing the same thing because that's you know that's not gonna work that's not gonna happen but at the same time it's like yes yeah, so it has been established that this is a world of superheroes and a lot of them actually do live in manhattan so where are they I don't know. I assume that the show, now that it's become a proper superhero show, will explain that, perhaps? But, you know, but the idea wasn't even to have a second season of Daredevil. It was to have a, a season of Daredevil and then have a se- season of Jessica Jones and then another one of Luke Cage and then another one of someone else that I cannot remember the name and then a final one that connects all of them into the Defenders. I am pretty sure that I read that there were no plans to have a second season of Daredevil. And of course, uh, it was so successful that of course they're going to do a second one. And it kind of like let a few things wide open there with enough material to be developed. I do not but, buy that for a minute that they didn't plan to have a second yeah, season. Yeah, I bought it. I'm, I guess I'm just so that naive, Renee. Never <laughs> believe anything that you read on the internet. Okay, now you tell me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that is weird. So you have that disconnect from the wider universe. And then you have the whole thing with with Hell's Kitchen. All the characters bought into that, that speech about how about how Kitchen let's save the city and it's like it, that came from everybody that came from him that came from Ben that came from the villain so well it took the show until episode what was it episode seven stick to become a superhero show even vaguely because that that's the episode where they did the whole black sky storyline with the mysterious little kid which we still don't we still don't understand what's happening there that was just left there like a like a crumb. And you can't follow it because the show does not pick it up. And so that was basically the first time, to me, that it felt like a superhero show, that episode. And then oh. not again until the very last episode, episode 13, where he, you know, puts on his little costume. No. Uh, I don't know if I would agree with that. I felt like it was pretty much a superhero show from episode yeah. 2. Because of that scene at the end of episode 2 where he was just kicking ass but there's 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 the whole thing of his do we call them powers i his don't know super, See, his I, super, I don't, his super senses i don't know what we call those but to me it's not about what he can do and how many people he can beat up with by doing you know kicks and flips the tone of a superhero show just does is just not there the wider like the wider implications that the character is working to save whatever it is that he's saving are absent. Because to me, superhero shows are, by nature, fantastical. Oh, that's interesting. I don't... Yeah, I don't think... I don't think that they need to be like that for me, for me to consider them superhero shows. I'm thinking about the Batman movies, and I'm thinking about... That's pretty fantastical. I mean, really. Do you think? Well... Yeah, Batman, to me, is super fantastical. I'm sorry. Like, some of that shit that he uses in his 
Batty Adventures. <laughs> really, really Bruce Wayne. Okay. Maybe it's fantastical that the show and the show recognizes it. Does that make sense? Maybe that makes more sense. Yeah. Where there is not to the fact that they live in a fantastical universe. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually really good at this recognition, I think. They embrace the sort of fantastical elements that they're using. And I don't feel like Daredevil did that for me. So there's really two, only two episodes that feel vaguely superhero-ish. Everything else just feels like crapsack sadness world where everybody is miserable. So, so far, kind of the things that you are saying actually don't correlate to you saying that you actually liked the show, though. Oh, well, I liked it. <laughs> I did. I thought that Charlie Cox was pretty fabulous. Like, he was... Any scene he was in, he just took it over. I can't take him seriously, Renee. I think one of the major problems for me is this he looks like a baby. So I feel like he looks like a baby and it's like a baby going around like doing Batman voices. Basically that's what it was for me. I'm so poor Charlie Cox. I'm sorry Charlie Cox. You were so cute in Stardust. I loved Stardust and but I just I don't see you as that guy. And I just, I had a problem with me, oh, every every single character because I just didn't like their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. That foggy guy, I just saw him so boring. Usually sidekicks, they have to be funny. And usually sidekicks just carry the show. I just felt him so forced. I, I loved I, Foggy, which is really funny. He was my favorite part uh, of the show. Because that friendship was perfect. Absolutely. It was really the, good. The, what, what made it was how stupid their conversations were. Like, Foggy would make some stupid-ass joke, and Matt would be like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, that's only me and my friends making stupid-ass jokes. That's exactly why I like that relationship, because Foggy was so ridiculous. That's how people who are close friends to interact. That's just how it works. I don't you, you get together know. and you're like stupid assholes together. That's that's me uh, and some of my friends. And I thought he, I thought Foggy actually got some of the like some of the funniest lines. That maybe I just have a really fucked up sense of fever. But he was like talking about how they were gonna eat him up like a shark. He's like, look at me, I'm delicious. <laughs> and I just love that shit. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> the show is so violent and dark that I needed those moments to. Remember that it wasn't all terrible. I don't, I don't know. I, I, no, everybody, like every single piece of commentary I've read hated Foggy. But if he hadn't been there, I would have probably quit the show. I agree with you. I think I think the levity was necessary, and I think and and that that type of character I usually love. I just don't think I think it was so off key. I think the delivery was we. I just uh, I just didn't like him as an actor, I guess. And I felt his lines were forced. And there was also the fact that a lot of his lines about Matt and women oh, were no, gross. so gross. This show had a serious problem with women. That oh, it was really God. bad. The first episode we even get, right episode, the first episode into the ring. You don't see women together unless they're being terrorized. None of the major female characters talk to each other. They are never... If, you, if there's a scene and it's happening, there's, there's one major female character in that scene. Yeah. And everybody else is dudes. The women yeah. also, like Karen, she has no social network. She has no like inner life beyond Matt and Foggy and what happened to her. Yes, and absolutely. This is such an unrealistic view of women 
because we have social networks. Like, even people like me who are super hermity and don't really like talking or seeing people in person ever for any reason are, we have social networks, we have connections, we have, we are not alone. And this show painted pretty much all women as just being alone at all times with no, out like with no personal lives outside of yeah or gravitating around the 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 main man in their lives i think karen was the the only one who didn't go down that route because she had a thing that she was investigating for herself and she had uh, an arc that kind of like deviated from the rest of the characters especially toward the end with the thing that happened to um her and wesley mm-hmm. but like for example um vanessa who was actually a really interesting character to me one of my favorite ones but her entire thing was about wilson fisk did she have nobody in her life did she have no friends did she have no family no, like, and it's like, and it started off as a really interesting, you know, art curator, had a really interesting career, and then all of a sudden, it's like, why, why, I wouldn't understand why he fell in love with her, but why did she fall in love with him? I don't, I, I don't know, like, I really liked the relationship, they were, like, out of the romantic relationships the show tried to sell us, that was the one that worked best for me, but, yes. like, she was such uh, she was such a cool customer. She was like the chilliest fucking cucumber wow, in the veggie door. I, know. I was like, holy crap. You are totally. you are cold, Vanessa. I, I completely agree. I'm really with that. kind of excited. Like does this mean we get like Daredevil season two, Vanessa the supervillain? Because I would take that. No, I I hope that she's going to China and join forces with Madame Gao. Madame Gao was my second favorite character of the show. She was great. I that scene where she kicked his ass with just one don't fuck with the ladies, man. Don't do oh it. Oh my god, that was so fucking awesome. Who else? What was the other uh, major female character? It, um, Rosario Dawson. Claire. She just came to tender to his wounds. And that was it. It's the most underused... And then apparently they were having like a weird romance. Like, I can't fall in love with somebody. Like, really? But like, but like, you disappeared for several episodes and we never knew what happened to you. It's like you didn't even have a conversation before you just went off and never came back until we came back to care for his wounds and say, we are not doing this. And I'm like, okay. I don't understand why the show chose to use her that way. I was like, why are you wasting this amazing actress? I think it's because she's going to be nurse to all the other superheroes in the rest of the series that they are going to um, release. That's that's my guess because they cannot underuse Rosario Rosario Dawson like this man. That's just like that's that's bullshit. What was all that about? I just I don't I don't understand. I yes. So the more we talk about the less I like it. Okay, let's be fair. When I say I liked it, I just say I made it through it and it was mildly entertaining. I don't okay. hate it. I thought it did some things well. Yes. And other like, things, I, not so well. I like that I came out liking the show more than you did. I think that's hilarious. I just, yeah. I, uh, I'm i I'm kind of like, uh, I've lost my bearings now. I everything, don't know. everything that I liked about this show, everybody was like, no, this is terrible. I liked, you know, I liked Karen's storyline. Everybody was like, eh, Karen. I liked Foggy. Everybody's like, oh, Foggy. No. Every- up, <laughs> up is down. Down is up. What are- What's happening, Renee? What is happening to us? The world's upside down. Oh, no. To finish up, we were asked about this as compared to Agent Carter. So how do we compare a sunny day 
against a miserable rainy winter day? Good There's question. There's no comparison. <laughs> Here's what I think. I think Daredevil did a little bit better on representing the diverse nature of a community than Agent Carter did. Agent Carter is just super white. But I also yes. feel like Agent Carter did much, much better at hitting the MCU tone that Daredevil didn't even bother trying. Yes. And it makes Daredevil a weaker show, even though it's somewhat better on representation. It's not perfect, as we've established. But Agent Carter is can be both dark, but it's still fun, right? It still has the yes. comic book sensibility that it's, that, like, it's based on. I think that was that's exactly what was missing from Daredevil, was that sense of fun. And it's interesting as well, because it's not like, for example, uh, Agent Carter is not a violent show. Because she also punches people she quite people a lot. In the, in the face with staplers. It's a violent show. It's Agent a Carter violent show. a bulldozer. Show. Yes. But I felt that was better used overall. It, it, also, it also means something when we have a female character doing that sort of violence. So I, I guess that in that way, that show was also making a point. Right? A point that we agree with. That women can also be that type of character. So in a way, it spoke more to to what I'm interested in, to my sensibilities. And I think even though there were a lot of more things happening in Daredevil, I actually think that Agent Carter was a tighter show in a way. Even though it was just this one thing where she had to prove that um, Stark was not doing what people were saying that he was doing. And he fell asleep less, which was a bonus. Oh, I have fell asleep exactly zero times. <laughs> I'll make that clear. Uh, if I had to put these against each other, Agent Carter would win every time. That's not even comparison. There's not even a question of... This doesn't feel like a Marvel show. It's very strange to me. It's got the title on it. It's a Marvel character, but it, except in some like really vague instances, like the scene with the kid in Episode Seven, the end of Episode Seven where Stick asks, where Stick is talking to mysterious Scar dude, the end of the episode where he dons his, you know, like, it doesn't feel like a Marvel show. It just feels like if I wanted this kind of thing, I would go put Man of Steel on loop and make myself miserable. <laughs> <laughs> don't BDC Marvel. Don't do it. It's not but I plan. think I, I wonder whether if it's faithful to the comics because I think I've 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 read commentaries saying that it's actually very faithful to the tone of the comics. So I don't know. But, maybe but maybe it not, is, but not what we are used to. But even even so, they should be. If it's an MCU show in the continuity, it should feel like the MCU. It shouldn't necessarily feel like the comics. That's true. That's uh, yes. Okay, with that I agree as well. So yeah. I don't know. That's where I fall on it. It's all right. I don't know if I'll. I don't know if I watch all of season two. I might try it. I will. You I will? absolutely will. Yes. Even though you dislike the show, you can admit yes. that you dislike the show. You didn't like it. Uh, yes, I just like the show. It's I will okay. watch season two. Own it. Own I, it. I, I, I'm actually more interested in season two of Daredevil than on Agents of the Shield, which I like more. <laughs> I'm just so just, confused. I think, I think Marvel is just confusing us. We're confused. I'm just so confused. <laughs> we, have to, we have to move on. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, you can watch Daredevil right now on Netflix. If you have thoughts about the show, we'd like to hear them. Did you finish all the episodes? Uh, did you have to tap out? Feel free to ping us with your thoughts. 
You may know Becky Chambers from her work on The Mary Sue. Her book, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, began life via Kickstarter, was self-published, and in 2015 will be brought to us in wide release by Hotter. The story follows a mixed crew led by an easygoing pacifist captain and is anchored by a brand new ship clerk with a secret as they build wormholes and make their way through the universe. So, Anna, this book got read to us by several people. Yep. I liked it. You did like it? I did. I have some feelings about it. Oh my god, what is happening to us, Renee? In that it reads a lot like Firefly and Mass Effect crossover fanfic. Okay, right, so I have no idea what Mass Effect is. Mass Effect is a video game series. Okay, and so... It's really funny, because while I was reading this book, I was... Because somebody had compared it to Firefly, and so I started reading it with that in mind. But the more I read it, the more I was like, this does not feel like Firefly to me. What does this feel like to me? And then I met the AI on the ship, and I'm like, holy shit, it's Mass Effect. And I think this makes sense, because Becky Chambers plays video games. So I'm feeling like she probably got some inspiration from Mass Effect. Okay. I like Mass Effect a lot. No, Mass Effect is great. And now I really want you to play it, but you don't have any way to play it. So I'm no, disappointed I don't. now. I don't know how to, <laughs> how do I get Anna to play Mass Effect? It's not it's not possible. What do I need to do to play Mass Effect? <laughs> like a PlayStation or an Xbox? Oh no, that's not good. Gonna happen, Renee. See, Sorry. See, <laughs> like, can, like, can I, can I, can I play on my computer? <laughs> I think so. I'm, I'm sure they make, I'm sure they make, uh, like, computer versions of the game. I'm just okay. not. I just don't have a PC, yet, so I don't really no. play games on my computer. It's not I think happen. it's probably possible if you really get curious. You could probably watch it. Somebody has probably put all the cutscenes and from Mass Effect onto YouTube. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, Mass Effect is basically a video game where uh, Commander Shepard collects a ragtag crew of aliens and goes around saving the universe. Okay. That's basically what Mass Effect is. It's really fun and depressing. We're not going to get into that. Well, okay. The book, the book however, it's... this book is not depressing. This book no. is like a, a joyous, optimistic romp through you know, yes. various systems. It's really fun. It is really fun. It's delightful. I, I was delighted. I thought it was probably a little bit too long, but that's okay. Um, you thought it was too long? I thought so. I finished this book in two hours, Anna. What are you talking about? Oh, shut up, Renee. Let's not go down that route. Uh, too long. I was like, I want, I can't, like, I, when it was over, I was like, that's it. That's all we're going to get. That's, there's no more. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> I don't know, I think it was a little bit prolonged, yes. But that's not that's not a problem because it was like I said, it was so much fun, it was delightful. I'll tell you what I liked the most about this book. It was because it was the fact that it was recognizable in many ways, because it's kind of like space opera and kind of like Firefly, which I love. And you have the ragtag band of friends that fly together. But none of the individual plot lines of that book went down the route that I was expecting it to go. So the book surprised me so many times like for example and uh spoiler warning uh, yes we're gonna be spoiling this book as well sorry folks the whole thing about rosemary so she had a secret and she 
um, joins the crew as a clerk. She doesn't have a lot of experience. And then when when we revealed what her secret is, I was expecting her to turn out to be in any other book. She would be like a space princess that could fly and or shoot arrows with her eyes. But no, she actually had a degree where she trained to be a clerk. And a clerk, she remained. And she was awesome at it. What? And she was- <laughs> Wait, she, what are you reading that has space princesses who shoot arrows from their eyes? What in the hell are you reading? Actually, I'm not reading that at all, which is a shame. There should be a novel with a space princess that shoots arrows from her eyes. Okay, People, someone, please get can to, you get deliver us some recommendations? Like, does this exist already? I feel like this might exist already. Somebody could... Oh my god! That's the, that's the thing. I was expecting her to be like to be proven to be something else or someone else. I or... thought she was a murderer. Oh god! Yeah, or something, or something dramatic, right? But no, she had a degree, and her degree was in clerkerism. <laughs> and same thing. I thought that she would end up in a relationship with the pilot, with the pilot, with the captain, because that's how these things go. But no, she ends up with the with the relationship with another girl who is also an alien who kind of like lives in a polyamorous, I guess, society or that's what I got from it. So, um, and then the captain actually has a steady girlfriend who, and he's not a player at all. He's actually really like, just just a really good guy. And I was expecting someone to be a jerk, and there was a jerk, and that was Corbin. But then he ends up being forgiven and then no longer a jerk because he's working really hard to change his ways. Well, by force, he didn't really agree to it. Well, yeah, that's true. But but do you know what I mean? And then you have the whole, the relationship between Jenks and Lavi. And I thought, because in any other story, they would, you know, stick it to the man, they would fight to be together and they would be they would put her in a body because that's how things be and you have to be daring because you're in space and in space and you can do everything and no they didn't they followed the rules because they fought things through and i was like nothing is happening the way i thought it was going to happen this is awesome i love this book does that make any sense to you yeah <laughs> or it's just me that i expect like outrageous things from books and then <laughs> when nothing not, none of that happens I get really amazed I guess. <laughs> you read a lot so you're really familiar with tropes. Maybe. This book subverted all the things you thought would happen because yes. we're so used to things happening in a certain way in books that when they go wildly differently we're like wow that's amazing somebody did something different. Okay, so this story didn't do that for me at all because I was really, like I said, this feels a lot like it was hardcore inspired by Mass Effect. Hardcore inspired by, like, Spanish conventions in writing, too. Okay, so are you telling me that this is the sort of amazing experience that you get from reading a lot of fan fiction? Yes, it's exactly. This feels like I read an amazing, amazing piece of fan fiction. And I'm mad there's not more. Like, there's, I'm mad that I can't click next chapter. I hope she writes more books. Because if she's going to write books like this, this is the kind of, like, this is why I liked Aaron Claiborne's book, uh, Hero yes. at the End of the World. It had that same tone, right? 
is really yes. easygoing and not too heavy, even though it dealt with heavy subjects. But, like, it feels like a very chatty book. Like, it just feels like it's talking to you and taking you with it and inviting you in, inviting you on the story, like, inviting you into the story it's telling rather than just talking at you. Yes. And this is a really, not a really easy thing to do. A lot of, a lot of people struggle. I struggle with this when I write. So this book was just really super fun. And- I, I think I think I think you touched a good point. I think um, a hero at the end of the world is actually a really good comparison to this book. It's, I felt the same way reading both of them because I was surprised and I was. It they just. I keep telling you to come read fanfic, and you're just like, <laughs> I'm so busy. I have so much to read. Well, th- you could feel like this all the time, Anna. All the time. Wow. I don't know. I don't know if I can cope with that much happiness. Because fanfic writer, like, because we're just not constrained by the same things. That's interesting. The, the wider publishing world is. Doesn't mean that what felt fresh exci- and exciting for me felt like run of the mill to you. Not run is of the that, mill. Is- that's the wrong way to phrase it. It felt familiar. Okay. And that's so, not a bad thing. Because no. I, listen, I will, there are like some stories that I will reread. And there are stories, like the piece of fanfic I've been trying to get you to read for 8,000 years now that I don't think you still haven't read, <laughs> even though you promised me you would. I've read that story like a hundred times. I've reread it a hundred times. It's so comfortable and familiar. It's like hanging out with an old friend that you haven't seen in a while, except I saw it last week when I reread it again for, you know, the 10th thing time. Run of the mill is not the right way to say it. Just familiar. Okay. And that's not a bad thing. The fact that so much of publishing focuses on being original, on being doing new things, I don't care if you're being, being like super original or doing new things. You can do the same tropey adventure fic if you want. But if you just add new elements or switch it up a little bit or change just a few elements like this book did, like you talked about, like especially with the captain, Rosemary doesn't have a relationship with Ash because he has a city girlfriend. That's just a little a little tiny subversion that changes everything. Right right? Yes. I don't need I don't need books to be super new and original. I just need books to they can tell me the same story, but as long as they do it a different way, that's fine. And that's another thing that I like about John Scalzi's writing. He does that really well, too. Uh, another author, Rachel Bach, with her series that starts with Fortune the, Pond. The, yes. Another yep. another great example. Yeah. That's where I'm coming from with my like my genuine enjoyment of this book. Because I just think that it takes a lot of things that we expected to happen, subverts them, and... Because it's doing it in such a way with such familiar tropes. Like, they use an ansible. We know what an ansible is. They are building wormholes. We know we've read plenty of fiction about wormholes. Like, they're using these these things, but they're doing them in a way that comes from the characters they're building and the things that they're tweaking just enough to make it different. Yes, absolutely. And that's what we do in fandom. Like, we just take the original canon and we change things just a little, just enough to... Tell new stories. That's fanfic. I mean, that's not all of fanfic. Now I'm going to get no. email. Uh, that's a that's a portion of fanfic. I totally agree with you. That this was super fun. I like that we I like that we enjoyed it in completely different ways, though. You liked it because it was fresh and new, and I was like, ah, oh, this is I recognize this. Come to me and let me hold you. Oh, uh, that's that's so it's fascinating. It's so interesting. Because, yes, you, you read something so different and fresh. And, and I think for most of the people that recommended it to us, 
I think they are coming from my perspective. Yeah, they must from be. Yours. Jared and Justin recommended this to me. Some other people did too. The, okay, so I did okay. have one complaint about the story. Okay. One small, tiny complaint. I think if you play Mass Effect and you know uh, you know who Edie is and you don't, but that's fine. No. And I think, but I think if you do come from that, I think Lovey was way too close. It was way too much overlap there between Lovey and Jinx because in in, in Mass Effect there's a romance between Edie and Joker, and Joker has a disability, and I just felt this was this overlap was just really strange, and I just couldn't. Okay, that's interesting. I had, I I that went completely unremarked by me because well, I don't yeah, have that. that the I don't have that. Yeah. The characters, like I mean, I th- I guess it's probably just an homage, which is fine, which is not a bad thing at all. I just felt like I felt like as soon as I realized that Jinx was going to try to put her in a body, I'm just going to give her a body. I'm like, okay, well that's going to be subverted and she's going to die. Like so, I called it. Okay. Yeah, no, I was surprised by that. You were surprised by that. I was not because I figured I felt like because she was she was so busy subverting so much of the other things, and I just kept seeing them happen. That I as soon as I like I didn't know how she was gonna. Die. I thought I thought actually that she would they were gonna put her in the body and then they were gonna get caught and she was gonna die. I did I didn't see I didn't see what happened coming like what happened okay. in the book, which was which was way more which was way better than my version. <laughs> way more heartbreaking. Yes. Because they never even got yes. the chance to have her. I know. I know. It was way more. Awesome. Yeah. Way more heartbreaking. But I think my my main complaint about the book would be the way that the, what's his name? Oh, something. Oh, Han? The navigator. Yeah. The whole storyline played out in the end. I know. Because there wasn't, for the- it was really straight. Both him, his storyline, and Corbin's were really fragmented and weird and unresolved. I think it's because they were the two of the characters that appeared less in the text. They were not as developed as the rest of them. With Corbin, uh, I think I thought it was really interesting because he just appeared in the beginning. That he disappeared completely, and then people talked about how much of an asshole he was. And then he he came in very strong at that point where you find out that he's a clone. And then, like I cried tears of horribleness in that whole scene with them and when Sixes um, went to rescue him. Yeah. I totally so that, ship them. That, I totally do it. I want a sequel that, where they, where he gets together with the Six and Rosemary. Oh, that would, uh, Rosemary Corbin, no, yes. I can't see that. Yes, I do. So, I'm, I'm sorry. So I kind of like, I felt that like the Corbin storyline was better than for me, but Orhan, and I just, there was not enough of him. And although that is kind of explained in the text because that's the way he is, because he doesn't interact a lot with the rest of the crew, it was such a strong thing about that character that he truly believed that he was one with the virus that infected him. That the end kind of like came made me really uncomfortable because I don't know if that was explored and elaborated that well. There was a lot of non-consensual stuff happening. There was exactly so much of it, so much, and I'm still I'm undecided on 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 how to feel about that. It made me super uncomfortable because of the lack of consent, definitely on how to treat him and whether to treat him and whether the, it was a treatment at all, which was the point 
that he tried to make throughout. And then in the end, he kind of came out of it seemingly grateful, grateful to Corbin. But we never saw his perspective and it was just really weird. No, exactly. Yeah, I think I think if an added perspective from Orhan would have been really interesting to see there. And I think it would have been better if Corbett and Ohanan had a stronger relationship. It might have been yes. problematic. I just don't. I don't know how she would have fit it in because you were already complaining about how t- how it was too long. Yeah, this is no, another reason that fanfic is great because you could just write. You, you know, and just go and on and on and on. Yeah, maybe there will be a sequel. Maybe hotter. Call Becky Chambers right now and ask. <laughs> uh, yes, but overall, I really did like this. I thought it was pretty cool. Me too. I liked it a lot. I hope she writes more, actually. I'm really yeah. excited to see what else she writes. Me too. You may still be able to find ebook copies of the self-published version of The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet on the U.S. side of things. Although, if you're not using a Kindle, good luck out there. Uh, the book will be re-released by Hotter in August of 2015. You can learn more about Becky Chambers at otherscribbles.com. In a wild twist, and to recognize that sometimes it's culturally relevant to fangirl and talk about people who are not overly exercised Marvel film stars, we have our very first fangirl happy hour guest. I'm really super excited. We have the fantastic, hilarious, adroit, charming, and utterly delightful Justin Landon on our show with us today. You may know him from his notorious but now sadly retired blog, Stafford's Book Review, or more recently as the host of Rocket Talk, the Tor.com podcast. Justin, welcome to our show. Hi, that was a way more complimentary than I was expecting. I thought that you liked your ego, you know, smooth and petted. I just went yeah, with it. it. It's definitely <laughs> one of those things that needs a lot of boosting. So Thanks. I think I think both Renee and I would say that we both love your podcast and you have been a source of inspiration for both of us. Yes, definitely. What people probably don't know about you and our podcast uh, is that when Anna and I become supervillains and take over the earth, you're going to be the fangirl happy hour supervillain origin story. So like you're blaming me? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Huh. So what is that? I mean, is that I'm trying to think of other superhero origin stories. So I'm like the guy that gunned down your parents in an alley. <laughs> no. So late in 2014, you were doing like really amazing work on Rocket Talk. And I was listening and stewing in envy over how brilliant you were. You like made it seem fun. And it was this great experience where you got to like learn a lot of stuff about books and the people you talk to. And you gave me this itch to go back to podcasting. And I thought, I really want to do this thing. And I want to have as much fun as it sounds like he's having. And since you had already seduced Anna with your like podcast wiles by having her on Rocket Talk, it's safe to say that you are most certainly a reason that Fangirl Happy Hour was founded. So congratulations on your achievement. Thank you. I, I will say, though, the weird thing about podcasting, and it, it can be fun, but it's it's based solely on the people you get to come on your podcast. It, it, not not having a co-host, of course, which is still something I regret most days, is that just if I get good people on the show, it's super easy and fun. And when I don't, and when I have a hard time getting people on the show, then it becomes not as much fun. Scheduling's hard. Yes. Yes. Time zones are evil. It is. Even between the two of us, sometimes it's a little bit hard. We have like a set day where we um, do the recording, but sometimes we have to move it around. So it's just the two of us always. So I cannot imagine how it would be with someone that you are not used to working with on a regular basis. 
Yeah, I'm currently working on a show uh, with somebody in the Netherlands and somebody in Chicago and then myself. So we will see how that. Oh, Jesus oh, Christ. Good, good luck with that. Yeah, it can be it can be tricky, but you know, I, I I've like I've woken up several times at five AM to record with people in Europe, so if that's wow. what I have to do, that's what I have to do. I'm dedicated to my craft. That's amazing. This is why we love you. I love you too. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> now that we have done that, we should move on to the actual part of this podcast where we get to ask you questions. Uh, so this is how the game works. We'll ask you six questions and you must answer them with three key elements, honesty, depth and thoroughness. Then you turn the table on us and ask us three questions which we both have to answer. Yeah, the only thing I'm worried about here is depth. I think I can do the rest of it, whether it's got any depth or not. No, you're super Don't smart. Me. It's going to be Don't fine. Judge Don't judge me. Alright, let's do it. I'm ready. Okay, so this is the first question. If you were a book, would you be a book to be savored or read quickly? And what genre would you be? I mean, this is kind of like the question of, this is like the Achilles question. Would you rather be remembered for all eternity or live a long and happy life? Die young and, and be remembered forever or live a long and happy life. That's like a really hard, it's a really hard thing. I mean, we know Achilles chose uh, glory over long life and happiness. I'm kind of lazy, so I would probably choose Long Life and Happiness, which which I think would probably be the book to be savored, uh, which means, you know, read me in little bit little chunks. Uh, I'm reminded of a book I just read, which is Alex Marshall's A Crown for Cold Silver, which is like a super adventure epic fantasy, but it's not the type of book that you read quickly. So it took me like a couple weeks to read it because um, I had to kind of stretch it out. But when it was done, it was this great experience. So I think that's what I would like to be. If I was going to be a genre, I think I'd be like a super niche genre. Like, oh. what's what's like a really niche genre that I could be uh, that would suit me? Like silk punk. Silk you punk, think? but it's like only one <laughs> book in the entire genre. Yeah. Ero- er- erotic male male werewolf. I am I am novel? a ticker and I'm the only one. That suits you so well. <laughs> yeah, or, or like you know, like in today's day, maybe like cyberpunk because nobody really writes cyberpunk anymore. So I would be like the exception that proves the rule. I'm, I'm in on that. And I'm super controversial, so something punk would, would suit nicely, I think. That's a good choice, I think. So my question ties into that. So, okay. If you happen to, like, stumble, like, face and face plant into a word processor and have a good idea and write a novel, what three authors would you want to blurb your work? Since, as we know, blurbs are super effective means of moving books into grabby hands of readers. So what three authors would you really want on the cover of your novel forever talking about how awesome your book is? As is well recorded, I am not a writer of fiction, so I have never thought about this question exactly. But uh, I think the first one is pretty obvious. Of course, not knowing what genre I'm writing in makes this a little bit harder. But the the obvious one is Joe Abercrombie. I'm like an unabashed fanboy of Joe's. I think he's amazing. I love his work. I find him personally very charming. Uh, And he's nice looking, I guess, which... I mean, his photo won't be on the book, so I guess that doesn't really matter. But but Joe Abercrombie would be number one. But I don't see myself writing that kind of fiction, so take that with a grain of salt. But Joe would be number one. Number two, I think, would be uh, Kate Elliott, and let me tell you why. It's because if Kate likes it, that means I didn't enormously fuck something up. Uh, because that would be my biggest fear in writing fiction, was that I would end up writing something either horribly, unintentionally sexist or really insensitive in some way. And so if Kate was blurbing it, it would mean that I hadn't done that. 
So I think that's something to aspire to. So we'll make her number two. And then number three, I think I'd probably, because again, we've already talked about a healthy sense of ego. So I would probably want to pick somebody who's like super snooty and highbrow. So maybe somebody like Juno Diaz, who does does read read (laughs) genre. He reads genre, but he isn't really inside genre. And he's obviously like a super lot of credibility in the literary world he actually did blurb joe abercrombie which is strange so i I think we'll call juno diaz number three i actually really like what to say about kate elliott because if a book has a blurb from kate i will read it because i trust uh what she what she says exactly for the same reasons that you stated congratulations i would read your book based on those blurbs yes Second question for me is um, with regards to your blog. So you stopped blogging, you closed down staffers. So do you miss it? Do you miss blogging? Do you miss being a part of this bunch of people talking to each other sometimes only about books? Yes and no. No, I don't miss the work. Because uh, like the problem with a blog is to, to be remotely relevant, you have to actually you know, blog. It doesn't like you can't just have a blog and be part of the conversation. You have to actually put something on your blog. And I was at the point where I no longer wanted to do that. So I don't miss the work. I do miss having some place where I can dump my thoughts and have people read them. I was just sick of putting in the work to make those things coherent. So like maybe I should have started something more like a Tumblr where I could just sort of one-off things like really without necessarily a long form but there were a lot of reasons that went into closing it not the least of which was i had a lot of other stuff going on you know between the podcast and between other stuff that i wrote for tour.com but recently this came became a problem when tour asked me to write something about the hugos and i did and it was not remotely something that like a major website could or would publish and so I had to have somewhere to put it, so I had to go find somebody that. Would that's that's the one that Porno Kitch published it, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And so you know, Jared was was nice enough to publish it, but of course, in the old days, I would have happily put that on my own blog and reaped all of the traffic that it generated. I don't have no idea how much it generated, but I, I would have paid attention to it. But you know, now I just have to have ask friends to publish that kind of stuff, which thankfully I don't really have a shortage of. So. You know, like I still get to blog when I feel like it. I just don't have the pressure of doing it, which I do not miss at all. Is that the I right answer? That. No, I feel like people want me to. There, there me to are no, there, there are no right or wrong answers. It's just complicated because, you know, I understand I have a lot of pressure to post things on the blog on a daily basis, which is fine. And I love it. I still love it. I don't I don't have any problems with that. But I understand maybe one day getting to that point. Hopefully it won't happen because or at that point I will already be the ruler of the universe. Exactly. Or that this is my agenda. But I understand. So you play golf now. That's a life decision that you've made. Uh, what does golf mean to you emotionally? Why golf? Why golf over like just throwing some tropical fruit across a field and then like making Robert Jackson Bennett or Sam Sykes like chase it and bring it back to you. Like why golf over competitive handstanding? Like why choose a hobby that's potentially more expensive than books when the expense is buying metal sticks? I need to understand. All right. So yes, this is a new thing that I'm doing and I have gotten into golf fairly recently. I bet actually sort of around the time I closed my blog is when I started golfing more. I have had a nice 
a nice set of golf equipment for a long time um, and have not used it largely because I thought golf was for old men and retired women and things like I just it's just something I thought that only old people did and I probably would still believe that today except I had had so many injuries to my left leg I've had two knee operations and an Achilles operation in the last 10 years and when I tore my Achilles last year I got to the point where it was like Justin you have to stop playing basketball and so I stopped that was my competitive outlet you know, and I'm one of those people that has to be competitive, which is why blogging initially was so exciting to me because I had that sort of that daily traffic feedback thing. And I was really super excited about blogging when I saw my traffic consistently increasing because it fed that competitive need that I had to sort of like be the best at something. When I had to stop playing basketball, I needed something else to be competitive at. And uh, I spent a while figuring out what that would be. And my wife and I actually had this conversation the other day, which is like, hey, Justin, you know that golfing is very time consuming and takes a lot of time away from your children and me. And I said, yes, I understand that. But I also have this thing in me that needs to be competitive. And like, I I have to have that. And I will be better husband and father if I have something to sort of do that creative, that that competitive outlet for. So that is why I golf, because it feeds that need. Now, why I chose golf over something like, making Robert Jackson Bennett best <laughs> rotten fruit for me. Um, <laughs> a fair question. Uh, is that uh, it's, it's very easy on my body physically. Um, I could do other things like running, which my wife would love me to do with her, but I can't because, again, I have these rather bad injuries to my leg. And so uh, and at one point I was into the bodybuilding thing, which is – just as time consuming and frankly much harder because you have to eat all kinds of restricted diet things. And my wife hated that too. So, I mean, I think she's glad I'm not doing that, but it it was just something that was easy on my body. Now it's, it's expensive, which kind of sucks. Those tour.com checks are basically feeding my golf habit (laughs) for for the near future. But otherwise, you know, it's fun. I get a kick out of it. It it gets me outside, which is nice. Uh, My daughter's actually starting to get into it. She wants to come along with me and whack on balls. So we do that sometimes. You know, it's, I know it's kind of strange for a young man. I'm only 33 to be uh, super into golf, but here we are. Maybe I'll go on the professional senior circuit at some point. (laughs) That's really interesting because I never thought of golf as a competitive sport. Oh, God. Wow, you have not met some old guys. Holy crap. Well, the weird thing about it is it's not really competitive with other people. It can be. A lot of people like to gamble. I'm not into gambling. But it's it's very competitive for yourself. You're competing against the golf course. You're competing against your score. Um, It's a a self-improvement thing. It's also great for anger management because you get very angry. But if you can learn to control that, I think it does a lot for your sort of – your your feng shui or your harmony or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> feng shui. This got real philosophical real fast. Wow. So, so yeah, it's, it's actually very relaxing. You just you just kind of get away from everything. You don't really answer your phone. You don't check your texts. I mean, it's like four hours where you just sort of check out from everything. And and if you can have some good friends that you do it with, um, you also get that good camaraderie. I don't have any of those, so I really just kind of do it on my own. But I could see a time when that would change. Yeah, that's interesting. Good to know. By the way. All of your SFF listeners are not like, what the fuck? (laughs) It will make or break this podcast. It's fine. I'm fine with it. Yes. Right. I have my final question for you. This is very important for both Renee and I, Justin. So think, think 
a lot before answering this question, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. On a scale between complete apathy and are you kidding me? I already have tickets and everything. How much do you want to see Avengers Age of Ultron? You know, so this is a... Again, this is an interesting question. I really, really loved Avengers. Uh, I saw it opening weekend with a friend uh, in D.C. when I lived in Washington, D.C. And we went to see it and we had a great, great time seeing it. I'm also a big fan of Marvel going way, way back, you know, as, as a kid. The challenge is, as we've, my wife has come up a few times during the show, my wife thinks all things superhero are pretty lame. And I, since we've relocated to Texas, like, I don't have any buddies. So I don't really have anybody to go see this film with. So while I am actually genuinely interested in seeing it, it's hard to generate excitement because I don't actually know when or if I'll be able to see it in the theaters because I don't really have anybody to go with. And I'm not really – I see movie going as a, as a sort of a, a communal – experience like i don't see it as one of those things i would do by myself not because i have a problem with it but just, i don't think that's how you watch movies especially in the theater like it's meant to be a communal experience something to discuss with somebody and if i don't have that i'm less inclined to see it that said my daughter really wants to see it but she's only five so i'm not sure if she, i have to see it before i can let her see it so i don't know that, the answer is i don't know i am excited to see it i want to see it very excited to see scarlet witch yeah, I don't know. You've already seen it, right, Anna? I have, yes. I am not. I'm, I'm not supposed to say anything because Renee hasn't seen it yet, so I cannot. I'm not allowed to spoil <laughs> for her. Is it awesome or not awesome? I thought it was awesome. That's there. You go. So I am. I am slightly more excited about it than I was a second ago. So I really liked it. My partner really liked it too. I got off. I got out of the movie theater. On a high, I was so excited about the movie. I think Ultron is not my favorite villain, so I think that does influence me a little bit. Speaking of that, like superhero movies, it's really hard to do villains. Have you noticed that? Like these superhero movies, it's really easy to do the heroes, but it's a lot harder to do the villains because the villains in the comic books are even more cartoony than the... Well, I will say that to me, Ultron was one of the best things about the movie, and I was not excited about it. Cool. So since uh, we're on a podcast and you have a podcast, I had to ask a podcast question. So if you could go on any podcast and guest host and interview anyone because you're going to be using their social capital to get guests, which podcast would it be and who would you have on? I mean, it's not going to be a genre podcast, probably. It's probably going to be either a like a uh a, like a mainstream culture podcast or a sports podcast and so i'll probably do both which is this uh, the podcast by bill simmons who's a an, uh, a sports writer but he does a podcast called the bs report his name's bill simmons but get it it's like a pun the bs report anyway uh <laughs> he he talks a lot about pop culture and sports uh movies films uh, sports and, and other things too that are of cultural significance within the country. And so I would probably want to be on his podcast. And in terms of, of guests, I don't know. I'd have to, I'm kind of trying to think of somebody who would straddle all of those different worlds. And I'm not sure who would, you know what? I'd probably, I'd probably invite on George RR R. Martin to talk about sports. Uh, we would probably talk about New York giants football and then I would, you know, smoothly lead into very controversial subjects like why he recommended Laura Mixon for fan writer. And we would oh. have great fun. 
And we are back to the Hugo Awards. Again. <laughs> we can't escape. It's like we can never, ever escape that. So, yeah, there you go. I'd go on the BS Report. I'd interview George R.R. R. Martin. We would talk about television, his books, and the Hugos, which I think would be a fantastic podcast. That would really be good. I'd listen to that. Yeah. Me too. Probably skip the sports part. <laughs> I'd find a way to relate it, though. He puts weird kind of sports references in his books every once in a while. Like some of the names of the characters, you'll see some references to football occasionally. So, Oh, there, that's there you go. All right, it's that time. It's that time, Justin. Oh, do I turn the tables now? Yes. Now you turn the tables. All right. So the first one is going to be a little bit connected to Avengers. I mean, not really, but kind of, because it's going to be about Winter Soldier. Okay. And... I need to know what the weird fascination with Sebastian Stan is. Like, this guy is, he's a nice looking chap, but not like the best looking guy I've ever seen. He kind of looks like, do you guys ever see the show Boy Meets World? Yes. He kind of looks like the older brother from that show. So I, I just don't see what the, he, he's like an internet sensation. Like, help me figure out why people love this dude so much. And I'm going to start with Anna, because I know Renee needs to, to back, to, to uh, to be the anchor on this answer. So well, Annie. I have no idea. I want to hear <laughs> that question as well. <laughs> I do not get it. I do not get the fascination either, Justin. So thank you for asking the hard questions on this show. All right, Renee, let's hear it. Okay, this is why I think that Sebastian Stan is so popular. He was on a lot of shows where he was crying a lot. And that's, I think, it. He was on a lot of shows where he cried a lot. He cried very prettily. And so Tumblr fandom just embraced him because we like pretty boys who who cry emotionally over their issues. And so then he was in Winter Soldier. And if you know anything about uh, Bucky Barnes' storyline in the comics or even in the MCU, you know that it's kind of a heart- really heartbreaking story. And so it just dovetailed into his previous roles. And, like, uh, Kings was a, bi- a big thing. He was in Kings. And so it just, it just fit right into that mold where, like, from now on, I just expect that every role he takes, he's going to cry. And he plays a lot of queer characters as well. So I just tend to think that Tumblr gets really protective over actors who play Emotionally vulnerable roles. Okay, so you're telling me that Sebastian Stan's popularity is linked mostly to the fact that he is attractive and he's emotionally vulnerable yes. in the parts that he plays. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I actually buy this, and I think this may connect with why Mark Ashiro is so popular. Uh, you guys know Mark Ashiro? Yeah. Mark mm-hmm. does stuff. Yeah. I feel like maybe they're connected because like, he's immensely popular as well, essentially for emoting in public, which is interesting. And I wonder if there's some link there where this ability to show emotion on camera uh, appeals to when it. That, if attractive of- men can be emotional, yes. There's, there's this really interesting uh, post that goes around Tumblr with these images of Wolver- like Wolverine. He Jackman is Wolverine. And he's all like, um, he's like jacked up and oiled. Okay. And then there's another picture of him on like housekeeping magazine or something and he's just like he's slim and he's wearing this blue sweater one of those magazines is marketed to men and it's not the one where he's in a blue sweater it's the one where he's bulked up and the the one that he's that he looks nice and like he wants to make you a sandwich is the one marketed to women and i think really that this idea that we that women are attracted to this certain the certain kind of like idealized male figure is not really true 
So we tend, like, on, especially Tumblr fandom, like, we are mostly attract, attracted to, like, men showing emotion and being, you know, human and normal. Man, if I'd have known as a blogger all I had to do was cry on YouTube to get my traffic up, I'd have been all over that. I think it has to be, like, genuine. <laughs> There's no mercenary crying? <laughs> no. Damn it. <laughs> but right. guys try. Good th- Good thinking. All right, so question number two. That was a good. That was a very good answer. Yeah. Okay. So that 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 will make me think. I'll 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 have to ponder on that to see whether I agree with that or not. Considering that I was just watching an episode of Friday Night Lights and Tim Riggins were crying and I was bawling my eyes out, <laughs> I'm guessing I will agree with that. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Apropos of nothing, I just because I want to follow up with this just a little bit. What about the ugly cry? So there's like I, I can understand like the pretty cry, you know, with like Seb Stan is a is does a pretty cry. But like what about like the ugly cry, like the you know like the like the <laughs> like what about like that kind of cry? Does that still well, well that, that's well that's still emotional, emotional emotional connection, emotional crying. So I guess yeah. Since I read One Piece, I have to say yes too. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> That's that's how people on One Piece cry, ugly crying, cry tears. Are there are no, there's no face left. It's all tears. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we've uh, we've solved the Seb Stan mystery. I, I I think everybody will will thank me for that, for asking that question. All right. So question number two, uh, you asked me whether I was missed blogging, and I gave a long and complicated answer, but. Anna touched a little bit on this notion that she could perhaps imagine someday in the future where she would feel uh, sort of worn out by blogging but hasn't gotten there yet. But let's narrow that focus just a little bit. Both of you write reviews, one maybe more often than the other, but you both write reviews. And you both write in-depth and emotionally charged reviews. So one of the things when I quit blogging was I found reviewing to be exhausting. I got to the point where I said I have used all the words – that I want to use about books, and I just I don't have any more words to, to, to talk about books. Have you ever felt that way? And if you felt that way, how did you get over it? And if you've never felt that way, can you imagine feeling that way someday? And uh, Renee, you can go first. Man, okay, let's see. I feel like this right now when I write reviews, reviews are exhausting. Reviews, to write a review is to basically like try to rip my lungs out through my mouth. It's really difficult. I'm currently writing a recommendation, not a review, of the entire Expanse series. So I can, like, dub-cob my friends into the series that I really want them to read. And I've been working on it since last year. I'm pretty sure I asked Ellen Wright from Orbit to send me a review copy in, like, September of 2014 or something. It's been a long time. And it's not that long. It's, like, 3,000 words, maybe. But it has been almost impossible it's really hard for me to find the words to verbalize what I want to say. And then I worry, like I panic about people, about authors sending their fans and their friends to drag, to drag me, like drag me through the metaphorical back road of the internet. It's terrifying. And most of my energy is spent worrying about reaction. What if I remember correctly, you once reviewed an expanse book and the author came to talk to you on the blog about it. Yeah. Did that not happen? Yeah, he. I think. Yeah. Actually, I think they've shown up. I don't know which one it is. I don't know if it's uh, Abraham or um, Frank. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Yes, Ty Frank. 
I don't know which one it was because they're they're, they're like this this looks like they're under a sheet, so I can't ever tell who who who's speaking. But I think they came to the first one and they're like, "That's that's an interesting perspective." And then they came. To, I think they came to the second one as well. They've always been good, but I've found that SF fandom tends to be um, it's more sneaky about it. <laughs> like like they won't send they won't send people via blog. They'll send them via like Twitter. Like, look at this review. Right, the pa- like the, the passive aggressive subtweet. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't think Daniel or Ty would do that, but uh, but I can understand the, the concern. Things get out of hand pretty easily around the interwebs, as we've noticed. You know, for example, Mark Lawrence linking Liz Burke's review like every other week. Ugh. Mark Lawrence is obsessed with Liz and needs to let it go. Step back, step back, dude. It's creepy. It's so creepy. I am the complete opposite. I am. I have never felt exhausted by writing reviews. I my process is like I need to post a review today. I will write this review within two hours of posting it. I just I sit down, I write the review, and I post. That's 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 it. And I don't worry about it. I don't worry about reactions. I don't worry about anything. I'm just like this is what because I see it. For me, it's like what stresses me more about blogging, if I even can call it stressing, is that it's. It's so much of it on top of me being having a full-time job on top of now having a publishing company as well. So it's that all the three things I need to do at the same time. And often I, and and so we have such a tight schedule. We organize everything in advance in terms of what, who is doing what in what day. So like, for example, I have to write a review for tomorrow and I'll write it tomorrow and then post it. And that's that's my process, and I, it's just it doesn't. It, I I am completely unfazed by it. That's how I've been doing for the past seven years, and has that that has been my whole thing. And it's like I write three reviews a week, roughly about eight hundred a thousand words each. I, I'm completely okay with that. So what could possibly make me not want to blog in the future? would be because I'll be so exhausted by the fact that it's a full-time job on top of another full-time job on top of another third full-time job, and I don't even know how I can have three full-time jobs at the same time, but somehow somehow I do. But the reviewing itself, it's, I actually like, and I don't have any problems with it. My, my only problem with my channel review is that when I don't have a lot to say about it, I don't worry about reactions or what, what people are going to say. I've been really lucky, I think, apart from a couple of horrible circumstances. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Uh, I have never had any. I don't like we are very popular. I have followers on Twitter. We we are close to 20,000. And somehow we manage to be surrounded by really cool people most of the time. And I think that actually helps me not feeling worried yeah, I think the other thing that I struggled with sometimes, and I was more like you, Anna, where I was like, I didn't really care what anybody thought about what I was writing, except I did find myself getting to the point that it was only one person, right? I would read, you know, maybe 80 books, a, 80 to 100 books a year, but like only maybe 25 of those really were, I had to say to write a review. Yeah, you know, to really like, because I, so I had to like shoehorn reviews into the rest of them, which I think got a little, a little harder to do, right? Because you don't feel that strongly about it. You're really like, well, here's a plot summary and some platitudes that I've used a thousand times, and I don't know. That, I think that was, I just 
I got into the it got into my headspace where I was like every review must be a piece of art instead of just being like a piece of recommendation. And I think that's that's the challenge I ran into. But all right, y'all y'all get good answers. Thank you. You're batting two for two. <laughs> yes. uh, there's another sports reference for everybody. All right, question number three is about a recent piece of news, uh, which was K.J. Parker, uh, an author that has been uh, pseudonymous, or, yeah, pseudonymous, I guess is the word, for the last, I think, 17 years, which is crazy. Nobody knew who, well, some people knew who K.J. Parker was, sort of publishing insiders, but the vast majority of the public, well, all the public did not know who K.J. Parker was, and it's been this big secret. Over the last 17 years, there have been lots of rumors about who K.J. Parker is, and most of us had come to sort of the, I think, hopeful conclusion that K.J. Parker was a woman. Now, I will be the first to say I think that hopefulness was built on the fact that people wanted to be able to claim K.J. Parker as a woman to hold up as an example of like, see, I like epic fantasy written by women. Look at K.J. Parker. Uh, and so I think that was maybe where that hope came from, but perhaps also that Somebody was actually publishing Grimdark by a woman, and there's not there's not a ton of that, although there is some. So the question is, I was very disappointed when I learned that K.J. Parker wasn't a woman, because I think it made it much less interesting. How did you react when you found out K.J. Parker was a, was a man? Not just a man, but a white man. Not just a white man, but a very white British man who's not remotely unique within the publishing landscape. Uh, um, Anna, my reaction was um, surprising surprise of how disappointing it was i thought i think the hype got to me because there was for a, for a while there there was a lot of hype about what what you just said that it could have been a woman blah 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 but a couple of months ago Foz meadows was reading uh, i think it was a non-fiction or short fiction academic uh, exercises a- academic exercises uh by him, and she was tweeting about it, and and you know what she tweeted about, and the way that he addressed uh, female character- characters uh, in that book, and she was very disappointed in it. Uh, she was actually quite angry. And after that, I was I was sure that he was a he. So when the announcement came last week, I was like, yeah, not surprising. But then again, I did think it could have been it, w- it was going to be someone else, someone else that we knew more about. With that said, I have so many of Tom Holt's books. I haven't read any of them, but I have received quite a lot of them uh, from publishers here. But I never got around to reading it. And frankly, I don't really feel like reading them. Sorry. Sorry, KJ Parker and Tom Holt. So how about you, Renee? I didn't know who Tom Holt was. So I I read it on Twitter and I'm like, who the hell is Tom Holt? And that's pretty much, that was my reaction. I also uh, did what Anna did and read Foz's rant about that book. And the more she quoted, the more I was like, oh, yeah, that's a dude. That's definitely a dude. KJ Parker is definitely a dude. And I don't think I was disappointed because I hadn't like set any expectations because I I thought it was possible that it could be a woman. But I also felt like, that I didn't care that much because I've tried. I tried to read KJ Parker's work and I got mired in it somehow. Like it was just not engaging. So I, since I didn't read it, I wasn't invested. And once I found out that 
I pretty was pretty sure that it was a dude. I was just no longer interested. And then it came out, and I was like, Orbit, why did you spend so much time, like, hyping this? This is not exciting to anybody in America. Is it? I don't think so. Who well, cares? So that, that's the thing, right? Like, Tom Holt is much more well-known in the U.K., although, again, not incredibly so, I don't get the impression. I mean, he's a humorist, but sort of, like, not a humorist on, say, a Terry Pratchett level. He's not that successful um but he is sort of of that tradition i guess you could say and, and i think that was kind of the, su- the, the 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 surprising part of it this is not somebody like the two writing styles could not be more different right like one is sort of tongue-in-cheek and funny and the other one is dark and grim and all about blacksmithing i think that was the surprise but i, I cared a lot because I, I was a i am a pretty big fan of kj parker's books even recognizing that there are some strange treatments of the female characters in his books. Uh, although, given that every single character in his book is a horrible human being, uh, it does make you sort of say, um, well, how else would they treat everybody? Because <laughs> they're all horrible. Uh, and that's sort of, I guess, why K.J. Parker, people didn't like to call it grimdark, but I think it really is grimdark and perhaps one of the best examples of grimdark out there. So I think that was uh, that was why I think people cared was because it was different. But like you... I was immensely disappointed to learn that it was Tom Holt. Um, and I've known for a little bit longer than, than everybody else, but oh well, you know, one mystery revealed. The next big mystery, who is, a- who is Alex Marshall? Who is Alex Marshall? It's also a man. We already know that it's a man, right? We do know it's a man. I'm never going to have a pseudonym in this fandom. You guys are all nosy <laughs> assholes. <laughs> but but see, the weird part about Alex Marshall that I think makes it immensely interesting, and Renee's point is interesting because you heard Foz Meadows uh, do this uh, attack or takedown of academic exercises, and you said, well, at that point, I, I felt pretty confident it wasn't a guy. Well, Alex Marshall has written a book that's incredibly gender, uh, new, I don't say neutral, it's not the right word, but um, it, is an, it is a, it is a, a gender equal society and he's using all kinds of things like mustached women warriors and uh you know the the baddest general in all the land is this tough as nails middle-aged woman and so if you read alex marshall we know it's a man but the the way that he handles these issues would not necessarily give you that impression so i think it's very interesting because a lot of times people said about K.J. Parker, this couldn't possibly be a woman. A woman doesn't write like this. And it was had more to do with the prose, which I always thought was obviously absurd. Well, I'm, I am looking at the Alice Marshall book right now, and it's just, it's massive. I don't know. It's so big. <laughs> it's so big. It's like a weapon. <laughs> I could just, I just bash someone's brains with it. And it's not, not a quick read, as we said earlier. So, All right. But, okay. but it's good. It's good. It's just not a quick read. No, I, I hear it's really good. I've been recommended that book by several people that I do trust. So it's just a matter of finding the time to read that one. So that was it for the Tom Holt question. Yes, you have successfully answered my three questions. We have successfully as a group completed nine questions. I think we're doing exactly. pretty good. Exactly, yeah. Well, Justin, thank you for letting us grill you with our super awesome questions. It was great fun. Thank you for responding to my three questions. Would you like to stay around and recommend with us today? I would love to make a recommendation. I have a great one. Awesome. You can find Justin Landon on Twitter at Esquire. You can also find him at his website, justinlandon.com. And you can find him writing and podcasting over at tour.com. Okay, it's recommendation time. Justin, since you're our guest, you're going to go first. Yes. 
my recommendation is a book I just read, and I think it comes out uh, first week of May, and it's titled Revision, and the author is Andrea Phillips. She's great, and her this novel is about uh, a computer program called Verity, and Verity is like some combination of like Wikipedia and Facebook, and somehow through the magic of quantum physics, Verity has. Uh, gained the ability to sort of change the future. The book opens with this, uh, the main character, uh, a woman, gets dumped by her boyfriend, who's the lead developer for Verity. And because she's all pissed at him when he leaves, she goes into Verity and edits his profile and says that he just got engaged to her, even though he had just dumped her. Like, she did it as just, like, to be mean about it. She's just like, fine. And she edits it. Next thing you know, he shows up at her door and proposes. The, just the novel is there's now this computer program that can change the future. And what I love about this book is that it actually discusses and uses technology as we know it today, like social media and, and cell phones and texting. And it uses all of those things and it doesn't hide from them. You know, like a lot of books are like, you know, all the cell phones suddenly break, right? So nobody can use their cell phone to call for help. Uh, but like she doesn't do that. Like she, her attention is genuine with all of the technology still available. And so I think the novel is really fantastic. It's character-driven. Um, and I described it as a Will McIntosh idea. Will McIntosh, the author of Love Minus 80, uh, written by Sean and McGuire. That's kind of like what it's like. And I think it's fantastic. It's published by Fireside, which is a, a small press. I believe Andrea told me she sent this novel around and to agents and nobody wanted to represent it. And so she sold it to Fireside. And I have no idea why, because this thing is amazing. Agent should have repped it, and editor should have bought it because it's it's wonderful, and I think everybody should go pick it up. Okay, I'm convinced. <laughs> You've sold Anna. <laughs> I'm so so. I don't know. I have never. I haven't even heard of it. I'm so glad you you recommended it. It sounds right up my alley. So thank you. And it's short. It's only like 250 pages, which just makes it even better. I love short novels. So that sounds even more appealing to me right now. My recommendation this week is a podcast. Uh, so uh, an episode. Uh, from Galactic Suburbia, uh, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And this episode is the episode that went live on the 18th of April. And it's the Hugo Explosion uh, oh, episode. <laughs> we will always go back to the Hugo Awards. Uh, so it's, it's almost two hours long, and they talk a lot about the Hugos and they mention quite a few of the really interesting posts that have been written about the Hugos including uh, the Connie Willis one, the David Garrett one, so it's a really good episode of an excellent podcast, so I highly recommend that one, if you are interested in the Hugo Awards of course, if you're not just then maybe skip that one completely Here's my question, are we ever going to be free of Hugo discussion? I never uh, thought that I would be burnt out on Hugo discussion, but I have reached that point. No, we will never be free of that. I will be talking about it forever. Okay, so my you have, um, you yeah, recommendation. Yeah, yeah, I do. I have one. I promise. Okay, my recommendation is a series of posts. My friend KJ went back and watched a bunch of the Marvel movies and some of the shows before to prepare for seeing Ultron. And I think a lot of her commentary is really interesting because now the MCU is this thing. It's this thing with this long line of, you know, canon. It has a lot of history. And I think 
it's fascinating to see what we notice now in these movies. Now that we have all this this new stuff in the last three years, versus how we watched those movies when they first came out. And I think she's gone through Iron Man three. I don't think she's going to get to Agents of Shield. I think that's what she said. But the posts on the movies are really fascinating, and I think it's a really great thing to reread if you're about to see Ultron but can't find the time to rewatch. You know, like nine movies. <laughs> Does it make me a bad person that I haven't even watched all of them? No. Yes. <laughs> We're divided. Like, I'm pretty sure I didn't see Iron Man 2 or 3. And I didn't see Thor 2 yet. Oh, man. I really liked Thor 1. I actually thought Thor 1 was the most underrated of all of the movies that I've seen. I agree. I love the Thor movies. But I didn't see the second one. This is, like, I, I, I mean, we can blame my children for this, right? Like, that's allowed. I mean, this is why. It's That's not, fine. If you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> not due to lack of interest, just yeah. But sure. have you seen Have you seen the uh, uh, Captain America ones? Yes, uh, I did. I did not particularly like either of them. Uh, <laughs> the second one is better than the first one. I don't generally find Captain America that interesting of a character. He's sort of like Superman to me, like. There's just not that much interesting there. I thought the same thing, and I felt the same way before watching those movies. And I think those movies actually changed everything, changed that character forever for me. I think he's so good in them. So. I, I, think does, I think he does a good job with the character, but the character's only conflict is a man out of time. I mean, that's that's really the only. That's conflict. such a shallow reading of Captain America. <laughs> I don't oh agree with that. He's, he's We're going to have a fight at the end of this podcast. <laughs> no, he's a man. Is he a man of war? Is he a man of peace? Is he a soldier? Does he answer to anyone? Is he? Is he? You know, the whole thing about shields, for example, about the the, the, the morals or the ethical aspects of the shields because he's, he's kind of a you know he's he's a goody to shoes in a way but he's a kind of like very ethical person and i think this the, the major conflict is between him and iron man because iron man kind of like it's not it is but it's not and and iron man is willing to go the extra mile for the greater good whereas captain american is not because he thinks about the individuals i really need to just drown you both in like captain america metal meta from tumblr I think that needs to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, God. We need to move on or we're going to have a fight. <laughs> Why? Do you disagree with me, Renee? I don't, I don't disagree, but I also don't agree exactly. I think it's really complicated. It's really complicated. we got to move on. We've got to move on. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. Justin, thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for having me, Renee, and I apologize for nearly killing the sacred cow, Captain America. It's fine. I forgive you. Uh, Anna, thanks for talking with me this week. No problems. You'll find links to some of the things we discussed today in our show notes at fangirlhappyhour.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com, find us at fangirlhappyhour on both Tumblr and Facebook, and chat with us on Twitter at fangirlpodcast. For both myself and Anna and our special guest, Justin, thanks for listening. See you next episode.